Well, hey everyone, and welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. And throughout the summer, you know we've been in a series called How Jacob Became Israel. But today we've come to the turning point. It's probably the most famous, but also the strangest of all of the episodes in Jacob's life. And I'm glad you're here to learn all that it teaches us. If you're new to our ministry, an extra special welcome to you. Uh, drop us a line in the comments below to let us know that you are here. Now, when I read this week about a boy named Mason who went out for dinner with his family, I couldn't help but relate. The family was seated in a, in a restaurant waiting for their dinner to arrive when little Mason wandered off and he found what looked like a big glass box full of toys. It was actually one of those claw crane games, you know, and he was just staring at the toys. And at first that just felt fun just to be able to see them, but he really wanted one. The fact that he didn't know how to play the game didn't stop him. He also wasn't deterred by the fact that he didn't have any money to play the game. There was a tabletop video game next to the claw crane game. So he got up on that, managed to climb on top of the crane catcher game from the top. And before he knew it, he was sitting in the biggest mound of stuffed animals that he'd ever seen. And unfortunately, he was stuck. <laughs> Thankfully, several off-duty firefighters were seated nearby and they managed to spring Mason loose unscathed. But Mason reminds me a little bit like what I was like as a child, curious and determined to get something if I wanted it badly enough. In another sense, I think there's a little bit of Mason in all of us. As we grow up, our focus changes from stuffed animals to other things. But the fact is that we have deep needs and wants and will sometimes go to extreme measures to meet them. We feel the need for things like security and acceptance, for love and fulfillment. And how we go about trying to meet those needs largely determines the kind of lives that we live and whether they'll be marked by frustration, regret, or satisfaction. Now, while it was kind of cute for Mason, <laughs> as adults, none of us wants to end up trapped inside a claw crane game. Today's passage shows Jacob at a crossroads in his life. And it's my prayer that the circumstances that unfold in his life give you help and understanding how we can get what our hearts most yearn for. And to do so without getting trapped inside a, uh, a game or anything else. Now, if you don't have your Bible handy, I encourage you to pause the video at this point and turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. And I'll read from verses 22 to 32. Genesis 32, 22 to 32. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, 
what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is the word of God. Now, as the scene opens, Jacob is at the edge of the promised land, and he's feeling as vulnerable as he's ever felt. Last time he saw his brother, his brother had vowed to kill him, and now he's charging in his direction with 400 men at his side. In verse 22, Jacob has just sent his family and all his possessions across the stream, and he doesn't really know whether he'll ever see them again. In verse 24, Jacob is left all alone. I picture him sitting in the darkness, afraid. He had tried to pray earlier in the evening, but was God listening? As he sits alone in the darkness, maybe he's waiting for an answer. If he was, I'm sure he wasn't prepared for what happened next. Out of nowhere, someone attacks him. It had already felt as if his life couldn't get any worse, and now in the darkness of the night, someone has ambushed him. Is it his uncle Laban come back to exact revenge? Is it one of his cousins trying to steal back their inheritance? Is it his brother Esau here to make sure he won't get away this time? At first, the question isn't, who is it? But how on earth is he going to come out of it alive? He fights for his life, and it lasts for what seems like an eternity. They actually wrestle until dawn. And then something unexpected happens. If Jacob had cheated in some way, we would understand that. We've seen him cheat several of the important people in his life. So if he bit the other guy or spit on him or hit him with a low blow, it wouldn't be completely out of character. But that doesn't happen. Instead, Jacob gets taken out with some new form of jujitsu or something. Verse 25 says that the attacker touched his hip, hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. It's like on Star Trek when Spock gives someone the Vulcan nerve pinch. It's not exactly cheating, but it's at that point you realize it's not exactly an equal fight either. As Jacob's hip is pulled out of joint, he understands he's not fighting against Laban or one of his cousins or Esau or some random robber. Only God could have dislo dislocated his hip with a touch. But why on earth would God attack him? Why on earth would God injure him? Why would he hide his identity? And how on earth was this any way to respond to Jacob's prayer? I, I told you that this was a strange story, didn't I? Now, God meets Jacob in the night and struggles with him to help Jacob see that he spent his life struggling with the wrong people and fighting against God. 
Even in the womb, Jacob was said to have struggled with his brother and he fought with him throughout his childhood. He desperately wanted what his brother had. He wanted to be on top. He wanted to be first. And he struggled and wrestled with his brother to get there. Then he struggled to get his father's blessing and he cheated his way into that. But he couldn't enjoy those blessings because he had pursued them without God and had ended up fighting against God's purposes instead. He should have been cooperating with them. When he fled to Haran, he fell in love. But again, he struggled along 14 years for a wife and another six years to establish himself financially. He had struggled with all the people in his life to get what he wanted and had fought against God's purposes in the process. And so God came to him to make him see that he was the one that Jacob needed to struggle with. God was the only one who could truly bless him. It was as if God was making this summary observation about Jacob's entire life. It seems that you like to wrestle, Jacob, but it's me that you should be wrestling with. I'm the one who has what you need. Now, God could have just slipped him a note with that message. He could have just whispered it in his ear. But God knew that the message wouldn't get through. Jacob, like most of us, are only willing to hear when we get desperate enough to listen. Some of you have probably heard C.S. Lewis. He once said that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. I'm not sure he got that one exactly right. I think it might be more accurate to say that we tune God out in our pleasures. We feel mild pangs of guilt in our conscience and often only ever really bother to give him our full attention in the desperation of our pain. That may be a generalization, but Jacob certainly seemed to need the struggle of this overnight wrestle to understand that he had been fighting with the wrong people and that God was the one he needed to struggle with for real blessing. Are you struggling with people for the blessing that only God can give? Are you fighting with your spouse or your employer or your neighbor for content, contentment that can only be found in God? Are you fighting in your career or your company or in your family for the satisfaction that only God can provide? God loves to wrestle. Go to him for what you most need. Now they say that the past behavior is the best predictor of future behavior. When Esau vowed to kill him, do you remember what Jacob did? He ran away. <laughs> I probably would have too. <laughs> then when he fell out of favor with Laban and his sons, and it looked like they might turn on him physically, do you remember what Jacob did? He ran away. So what are you expecting Jacob to do when someone attacks him in the middle of the night? You'd expect him to run away, right? <laughs> Except he doesn't. It seems that he's finally learned to stay and deal with his struggles. When God gives him that jujitsu move that dislocates his hip, it seems like God's way of ensuring that Jacob can never run away from his struggles again. But at that point, we assume he's going to cry uncle, right? He's surely going to give up at this point. If you've ever watched a couple of fighters grappling with each other in mixed martial arts, 
you know that the hips are crucial. <laughs> One person will pin the other up against the cage and then lean in with their legs for leverage. Except with a dislocated hip, you can't do anything. So what do you think Jacob's going to do? He actually just hangs on. In verse 26, God says, let me go for the day is broken. Not only is Jacob not running away from this fight, he won't let go. He can't even stand up, but that doesn't stop him from hanging on. At the end of verse 26, Jacob says defiantly and full of faith, I will not let you go unless you bless me. It's a famous statement from him. What does he mean? What blessing does he need? He's become a rich man with more flocks than he can manage. And with two, two wives and 11 children, he's certainly not lacking for companionship. But it doesn't fill him. He still feels an ache inside. There's an emptiness in Jacob. And I believe he's carried it with him most of his life. As he was growing up, his father preferred his brother Esau, and he wasn't afraid to show it. Jacob grew up feeling that he wasn't manly enough. He wasn't macho enough. He didn't hunt like his brother. And no matter what he did, he couldn't earn his father's approval. In the end, he had to disguise himself as his brother to get his father's blessing. And guess what? It didn't leave him feeling very blessed. Now, after seeking that blessing through his schemes, then through his romance, and finally, his riches, he holds on to God and says, you're the only one who can truly bless me, and I won't let you go until you do. It's your acceptance, your love, your forgiveness, and your purposes for my life that I've been seeking, and without them, I've been empty. Dislocate my hip, tear off my limbs, but I won't let you go. It's amazing faith. He reminds me of the testimony of Dr. Charles Smith. Larry Crabb dedicated his book, Finding God, to him with this inscription. To the memory of Dr. Charles Smith, a mentor who prayed for his cancer to return if it would bring him closer to God. In his last year, he found God in a measure he had never known before. And then he died of cancer. That's the kind of faith Jacob has come to taste here, isn't it? The faith that holds and won't let go until God gives his blessing. Have you learned to hang on to God like that? Or do you look to God as a last resort or just in case? When God doesn't give you what you want, do you storm out and look elsewhere for your satisfaction? Is God just a means to an end? Or do you believe that he is your blessing? Is there a healthy stubbornness to your pursuit of God? Not, not stubborn when God speaks to you, but stubborn in your pursuit of him. You will have him. You won't let go. Do you refuse to let up in seeking him? Can tell by the way you pray, can't you? You can tell by the way you respond to disappointment. You can see in the way that you handle your hip injuries. Jacob's statement here reminds me of Peter's words in John chapter 6, 68. 
a bunch of Jesus's followers had turned away at a hard teaching, just too hard for them to accept. And Jesus turned to the disciples and asked whether they were going to pack it in as well. Like he often did, Peter answered for the group. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They wouldn't let go. They knew that their blessing was in him. And Jacob had finally realized that his blessing was in God, and he was determined to hang on instead of running away. But there had been so many surprises on this night, he really couldn't be sure how it was all going to turn out. The strangeness of this encounter continues. In, in verse 27, God asks Jacob his name. Now, obviously, God knows his name. Is he just trying to humiliate him? It isn't clear at first, but Jacob won't be put off. He answers directly. His name is Jacob. Then God says, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. God wasn't out to humiliate Jacob after all. He's giving him a new identity. But first, Jacob has to confront his old one. Jacob came out of the womb looking like he was grabbing onto Esau's heel. It was like he was trying to jump the line and get out first. And so he was given the name heel grabber, and it came to define him. As we've seen, he struggled with everyone. He was always trying to jump the line and cheat his way to what he wanted. But God had the authority to redefine Jacob's life. So he gave him a new name, Israel. The name literally means God wrestles, but the explanation for the name is that Jacob has striven or wrestled with God and with men and has prevailed. Jacob may have started his life wrestling with Esau, but he'd learned to wrestle with God, and he'd come to learn that God loved to wrestle. God wants us to hang on to him for the blessing that he alone can give. He delights when we struggle with him in prayer. He loves when we rely on him in hard times. Jacob didn't have the power to turn from a heel grabber into a God wrestler. Sometimes we try to make those kinds of changes on our own. We ignore God's help and just try to clean ourselves up. We'll turn over a new leaf, we tell ourselves. But heel grabbers usually keep on grabbing heels. And some of us carry around cruel names that we were given early in life. It's almost impossible to shake those on our own. But this is what God does. Only God can redefine the path of a person's life. And he delights to do it for those who seek their blessing in him. Now, having been given a new name, the God wrestler is feeling the satisfaction of the blessing that he'd spent his life seeking after. And he was in danger of misunderstanding the wrestling match. God had asked his name after they'd finished wrestling. So Jacob thought he'd ask God's name. He figured they should be on a first name basis by now. Maybe he was going to give God a new name the way God had given him one. Either way, God would have none of it. The only answer to Jacob's request for his name comes in verse 29, where he simply asks, why is it that you ask my name? God loves to reveal his name, but he rightly questions Jacob's motives. 
because he had wrestled with God, he thought maybe he could also control God. And, And that's always the danger when God humbles himself before us. We mistake his gentleness for weakness. God's so generous, we think we can probably walk all over him. So we need to learn along with Jacob that this God who loves to wrestle with his children is also a God to be feared. Even Jacob, who wouldn't let God go until he blessed him, he didn't get to define what the blessing was. He just wanted whatever God would give him. And we know that that was enough because of how he remembered this encounter. Verse 30 tells us that that he called the name of this place Peniel, saying, For I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Notice that he didn't name the place, got what I wanted. He didn't call it protected for my brother. The word Peniel literally means face of God. Meeting God made a night of wrestling worthwhile for him. And if you've learned to wrestle with God, you know that all of the things that God gives to you are secondary to God himself. He's the prize. He's what our hearts most long for. Now, the Jewish nation didn't come to be called the nation of Abraham or the people of Isaac. They became the nation of Israel because Jacob learned to wrestle with God. And as they faced their battles, they would always remember the story of their forefather, the God wrestler. He showed them that if they hung on to God, he would fight their battles for them and they would walk in his blessings. Jacob wrestled with God on the edge of the promised land, and the trajectory of the Jewish nation was changed as a result. Jacob's descendant, Jesus, he also wrestled alone. He wrestled in prayer in a garden just outside the walls of Jerusalem. And as a result, the trajectory of the people of God was changed by his wrestling. He showed us that our biggest battles aren't ever really with people. Though he sweated drops of blood, he hung on in prayer and refused to give up. But the result of his struggle wasn't a dislocated hip. It ended with his death for us on the cross. Because of what he endured, we can receive a new name. Through faith in him, we receive a new identity as children of God. We're adopted and forgiven, set free and declared righteous. And because Jesus bore our punishment on the cross, we can know the incredible grace of Peniel. We can know that we will one day see God face to face, and yet our life will be delivered. If you've never put your trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, come to him today. And if you have put your trust in him, know that your heavenly father loves to do what all fathers love to do with their children. He loves to wrestle. So stop seeking your blessing in people. Look to God. Don't back down from your battles or run away from them. Grab hold of God and don't let go. And then let him reshape the course of your life as you receive by faith the new names that God gives to you. Child of God, friend of Jesus, member of the body of Christ, saint, salt of the earth, light of the world branch of the true vine, and yes, God wrestler. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, so often we let our eyes guide us rather than our faith. We do what little Mason did and we fixate on the toys and we find ourselves in uh, trapped in difficult situations as a result. Help us to see, Father, that our true blessing is in you. Help us to seek you and to pursue you. Help us to struggle with you for the blessing that you delight to give. And as we do, Father, help us to walk in the great privilege of the new identity that you give us in Christ. May we no longer be defined by the things that used to define us, but may, may we follow you into blessing, into our hope, and into our inheritance. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope this message has encouraged you to seek God for the blessing that is only in him. And if you're struggling to hold on, I pray that God's word has given you the courage and the, and the help to do so. If you have questions or need prayer, send me an email or leave a comment below. And if there's someone you know who'd be encouraged to learn how God loves to wrestle, then share this message with them and be a channel of God's grace in their life. As always, for more messages of hope, visit www.gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.